All right, this is Tuck Taylor on episode one of the Neuro Beast podcast. Uh, we kind of transitioned from the Beast Thinking podcast. Now it's all about Neuro Beast. Uh, we're talking about everything cognitive, everything mental performance on here. Today I have a special guest, Joshua Palacios from the Blue Jays organization. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm, it's an honor. It's actually the first one. I get to kick off the inaugural. That's yes. Kind of lit. I yes, like that. yes, 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 yes. You're one of our uh, special athletes that we had here. We worked with Joshua before uh, spring training 2021, I believe, yep. right? Yep. Yep. Uh, which he would go on to perform really, really well. We'll talk about that. Uh, also, he is one of the uh, athletes that definitely takes his mental performance Seriously, uh, he's become a big reader in the past two or three years. He's read a lot of books. So in our sessions, we were able to kind of go deeper than I can go with a lot of athletes on the mental performance side of things. And uh, I learned a lot of things from talking to him. Uh, he learned a lot of things. And it was cool to yep. be able to not only talk about these things, but to actually be able to see him go put these things in action and get the results from it. So we're going to talk about some of his experience here at NeuroBeast. Uh, and also just life as a pro, um, talking about some of the esoteric topics like, you know, giving back to the game and things like that, that uh, a lot of guys don't talk about. Um, so welcome to the show. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. Uh, so first, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, your, your, your path uh, to making it to a pro athlete. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, New York, born and raised. There started off my baseball career in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I had the advantage that my dad played professional baseball mm -hmm. at a lower level. My uncle played um, in the major leagues for some time. Okay. So I had a little bit of advantage of, they had known what it took to get there. Mm -hmm. But um, growing up in Brooklyn, not many people going there for baseball players. Right. A lot of scouts don't really go down there. Usually the underdog um, in most scenarios and not a lot of colleges going there. Mm -hmm. So for all the guys in high school, it's not, for me, it didn't. It wasn't easy to go like, hey, junior year, I was committed to school. I didn't have any offers junior mm. year. And somewhere like mid-senior year is when I actually started getting my offers. So nice. for all the people panicking, don't panic, bro. Yeah, it, don't panic. <laughs> still, it still happens. So after college, where, or after high school, where did you go? Um, after high school, I had some options to get drafted, but not at a level that I wanted. Didn't have a lot of scout exposure and everything. It was really, we had a, they had to kind of press the scouts and team's hands to come through. So um, didn't quite get the money and the number that I wanted, so I went to Stony Brook University, okay. which was like a Cinderella story right before I went there. They went to College World Series um, a year and a half before I went, mm. and it was like their first time ever in the College World Series. It was in New York, nice. so um, it seemed like a good fit, and I went there for actually only one semester before I transferred out. And what did you do after that? I went to a San Jacinto Juco Junior College okay. in Houston, Texas. Which is different from going mm -hmm. from Brooklyn to Texas. That's a little different. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, different parts of the map. You see people on horses and everything. Yeah. Not, they really out there. The yeah. black cowboys and everything. Yes, they're yes. really out there. Oh, yes. So I went there, San Jacinto, for uh, the finished my freshman semester, freshman year there, and mm -hmm. then played my sophomore season there, and then um, went to Auburn University after that, and then after my first year in Auburn, that's when I was drafted. Nice. In the fourth round. By uh, what organization? Toronto Blue Jays. Toronto Blue Jays. Good stuff, good stuff. So uh, that's awesome. And then that's just the story in itself. You know, the, there's a lot of ups and downs in your path. But it kind of showed early on that you had, like, the mental toughness required to continue on your path, continue mm -hmm. the process, and kind of figure things out yeah. along the way. Uh, now getting more into uh, your relationship with mental performance, kind of tell us about how that whole thing started. It started out um, when I originally entered professional baseball. I did pretty well. Going into my second season, I had some troubles, like ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And um, the one thing that I never did was read. So I was always kind of letting the reading go. And I practiced, did all my baseball stuff. And going into my uh, third season, I hit a slump, like a serious slump. Didn't know what to do. Start off the season great, but hit this point where I couldn't do anything right. Every day I was striking out left and right. My girl was coming down, my boy was coming down to see me play professionally mm. for the first time. All I'm doing is can like crazy. So um, I made the decision, like, look, if I want to go to places that I've never been, I've got to do stuff that I've never done. Absolutely. What's something that I've never done that can help propel me forward? And it was reading. I hated reading growing up, never wanted to read. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to pick up a book, 
read, and hopefully this thing will help propel me forward as something that I'm making a sacrifice to do. So I picked up the mental game of baseball. And, um, Great book, by the way. It's one of the best books you Great can read book. as a baseball player. And through that, I started to learn how to properly think through baseball, the toxic thoughts that I was having, and how I was approaching situations and failures that were setting me back mm-hmm. versus how I could use those situations and failures to set me forward. So goal setting, thinking properly, concentrating, becoming a little more process-oriented, yes. and then also started re- reaching out to the mental coaches. Shout out to my son, Ben Freakley. Um, they started kind of walking me down the path of learning to retrain how my mind thought so I could better be better adapt to these situations I'm headed in. And so we, we've talked about, about some of your experiences with your mental coaches. Uh, if you had to say, like, what was the, what was the, some of the sessions like and what was like the main thing that you really learned from them? Um, so to start with them, I wasn't down with it. Mental coach came to me at first. I was a little prideful. I was like, nah, don't worry about it. And my family, you figure it out. I've been through a lot. I've been able to get through it to now. I'll be able to figure it out going forward. And then uh, what really got me in there was I wanted to learn how to goal set. And that was kind of the first thing that walked me in there. They were always there, available if we needed to talk. But I felt soft. If Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be soft if I'm struggling. I got to go talk to this dude over here. He's got to fix my mind. Right. Like, I thought that's what's over Yo, you're mentally soft if that's the case. Right. That's what I thought at the time. Little did I know. But um, we got into goal setting and learned how to properly arrange my goals. And um, the first thing that stuck with me that kind of drew me in was I told uh, Ben, yo, I want to hit 330 for this month, which is a batting average of 330, which is an outcome goal that I actually have no control over. Right. And then he was like, all right, well, um, maybe let's change it from 330 to something you can control. And I was like, nah, Ben, I can control 330, like thinking I know everything. Right. And he was like, all right, we'll do 330 is the outcome. And then we broke it down into a tree. Well, how do you get this 330? And then we thought about it and we're like, all right, maybe I get this 330 in my bats by having good at bats. Then he was like, okay, let's break down the tree. What what constitutes a good at bat for you? And then for me was picking a good pitch to hit and being competitive with two strikes. And he was like, okay, well, how do we get better at picking a good pitch to hit and getting better with two strikes? Then we trickled that into my preparation. Well, then I was like, all right, maybe I can focus more on what pitches I'm swinging at in batting practice and only hitting good pitches there. And then two strikes, I gave him my thing, and I was all right. And then we broke it down to what's a routine that can help prepare you for your preparation. And then when I was able to see that on the back end, I believe that month there, I hit 375. Oh, wow. And then the next month, I hit 400. Mm. And I was like, holy crap, this stuff works. Right. Like, breaking this down into processes and everything works. Right. And then that started really like my appetite for learning and put it in hyperdrive. Yeah, those, those, uh, Reverse engineering your goals kind of gives life to your goals. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives you the action steps and the behavior. We talk a lot about that here, the behaviors that are going to lead to that goal. 330 was an arbitrary number. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. it was what it was. What you really wanted to do was bat better. Mm-hmm. You know, and so how do you become a better batter? Like you said, you start to break down the steps all the way down to your day-to-day routine that you need to do to become a better batter. And over time, became a better batter. Yep, and then even things too, like some things I can't control. I could do, in baseball, you could do everything perfect and not get a hit. So I could do, I could get a hundred perfect, like do a hundred perfect line drives, mm-hmm. not get a hit in any one of them. Right. So some of those things out of your control, and I think that was the beginning of me learning how to let go of those, let, mm-hmm. let go of some of those things. And then also a great um, term that they use in the mental game of baseball is you can't, if an alien was to land in Nevada mm-hmm. and he wanted to get to New York City, if he just strolled around America, he might never get to New York City or might get there for after years of strolling around. Right. But if you give that alien a roadmap of exactly how he needs to get to New York City, what stops he has to make, what hotels he's got to make, mm-hmm. what highways, when to stop to gas, it's a lot more likely he's going to get there and in an efficient manner. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you gotta, you got to have the plan. So from uh, learning learning how to set goals with your mental coaches, talk a little bit more about where did your mental performance go from there? So you know how to set goals, you know how to kind of set up a day-to-day routine, mm-hmm. you're becoming more process-oriented. What was the next step that you had? The next step after that was learning how to kind of rewire how my brain thought about certain things, so failures, mm-hmm. um, other things that I can't control, which is in baseball, 
you can do as well as you want to do, the team ultimately has the decision and the opportunity and the power to call you up. Right. So learning how to try to let go of some things that I don't have control of in that aspect exactly. and be a little more focused on how can I just better myself. Right. So better myself, I had some, some problems with when I would fail in certain situations, I would tell myself certain stories. Mm -hmm. Like I struck out, wow, I struck out to a guy who's really not that good. Maybe that means that I'm not that good. Mm -hmm. Maybe not, I might not be cut out for this level, this, that, and the third, when it was just a small scenario and a small situation right. that happens here and there that I could have learned from. Right. Instead, I turned it into something or feeling, oh shoot, I struck out. Maybe I'm not hitting good today. It's not a good day for me. My routine was off. And then letting that kind of turn into catastrophe where all of a sudden now I'm walking myself into failure and telling myself I'm gonna fail. Right. And then it kind of turns into what you actually start thinking that's gonna turn into. Mm, mm. So learning where to concentrate, how to concentrate, and how to rearrange how I was thinking about failure and success gotcha. in like a marathon so season. So basically just perceiving how you're perceiving the game, your perception of the game yeah. had to change. Yes. Your, your working definition of failure had to change. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. one thing that I realized at a younger age, I was extremely successful, or at, at a certain younger age, I became extremely successful, mm -hmm. and my best friend was the inner critic, mm -hmm. because I'd go four for four, five for five, and they'd be like, yeah, it was good, but you gotta do better than that. It was five for five with five singles, and that actually propelled me forward. That was a great help. Mm -hmm. Instead of being comfortable, like, oh, I went five for five, like, nah, but it wasn't five for five with five home runs. Right. I went three for five, but yo, you didn't go five for five, you didn't have a perfect day. Right. And then using that inner critic to make me better. But then when I got to Pro Bowl, I started to fail and that inner critic actually became my worst nightmare. Mm. Cause now it's like 0 for 4, damn, you went 0 for 4, you struck out three times. You, you, you're not good enough. You're not ready for this level. Like you weren't, you weren't, you weren't meant for this, this, that, and the so, third. So what do you do with that critic now? Is that critic still there? Did you have to kill the critic? Like what, what is it? What does your head sound like now when you fail? Now, now when I fail, I'm trying to learn from why I failed mm -hmm. and how I can use that to propel me forward. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn when the inner critic is, I'm allowed to listen to him and when he has to go away and have to be in silence, how I got to flip that mindset. So for instance, mm -hmm. I strike out now, okay, let's break it down, let's reflect on it. Why did I strike out? Did I strike out because I swing at a bad pitch? Did I strike out because I wasn't prepared? Or did I strike out because my approach initially was a bad approach? Mm -hmm. Or did I just not fully commit to what I was doing? Start picking apart those things and be like, all right, it may have been, I had a great approach, everything was right, but I didn't fully commit. Next at bat, let's fully commit to what I was doing. Yes, got you. So now you're able, sounds like, you know, we talked about Trevor Moad's book, uh, It Takes What It Takes, but yeah. it sounds like you are actively pra uh, practicing neutral thinking now. Yes. So yeah. you're not getting uh, too low on yourself, mm -hmm. you're not getting too high on yourself. You're sitting right there with the truth of the matter that happened and now you, from an unbiased, unemotional standpoint, you're able to analyze yeah. what happened. What do you think kept you from you know, being able to have that neutral mindset before? Um, it was just, I think over time, the repetition of the inner critic being mm -hmm. what helped propel me forward. When things would go wrong, the inner critic came out and he was trying to help propel me forward. Mm. And in certain situations, like when you're failing a lot, the inner critic becomes an enemy because he's tearing you down and you're not having the success. You're actually doing bad. And he's continuing to pull you down and be like, you know what? Over four, four, two days in a row, wow, you really suck. You're not working hard enough. You're not doing enough. Mm. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. And you start running yourself in circles. Yes. When in that moment, what you really need is like, all right, an unbiased, neutral thought pattern of, what happened, disconnect the emotions from what happened, they just look at it for what it is, right. and how can we use this to propel ourselves forward? Right. Or even, at the time, I would try to positively think too, like what's the positives I can take about this? Mm -hmm. But now, after reading Trevor Moyer's book, and a few things that we talked about, mm -hmm. realizing that just neutrally thinking about it right. is the best approach moving forward. Right, because what he's alluded to is that when you think too negative, obviously that gets bad, but thinking too positive, and that's where I used, I used to be on this positivity kick too, that's actually just as bad because yes. it, it's, it's escaping you from the truth. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can have a kid, you know, I use basketball terms because I don't want to mess up your baseball <laughs> terms, but you have a kid that, you know, might have 20 points, but he had 10 turnovers. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't want to face the truth and just stay positive, He's just gonna hang on the fact that he scored 20 points and <laughs> he did this, but not, you know, look at his turnovers from a neutral standpoint. Yeah. He knew that there was pain, 
some kind of pain associated with looking at the things that he didn't do that well at, and he was trying to avoid it. But like you said, neutral thinking is just, hey, what well, what's my stat line? What did I do? What did I do good? Cool. So I think, you know, when you do good, you have to I, I understand why you were doing good. You need that conscious competency. It's like, all right, so these were my lead measures. I did this well. I'm going to continue to do this well. Mm-hmm. But I did this bad. What were my lead measures to this? I might need to change something up. Yes. And being open to change things up, too. Do you see a lot of players at your level that just aren't open to changing some of the ways that they've done things? And it's it's out of, out of fear of maybe getting worse? Or like, do you ever see, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever seen like a player like that? Before? Well, yeah, I was, I was nervous, too. One, the main thing we see is guys usually, like a lot of guys that fell off and some guys at my level, mm-hmm. not that I'm a great wizard, but you can kind of tell guys don't sometimes understand why they were so good at a certain point. Mm. So a lot of guys will, at this level, try to go back to find, hey, I was elite at this, at this time, I felt great, everything was great, let me find out why mm-hmm. I was doing great at this moment, but they don't really understand it. They're trying to pick out little things that may not really be the reason, like, oh, my hands may have been tilted two inches to the left, or oh, I may have been slightly a little forward or a little more ahead, mm. instead of understanding like their behaviors, the processes, and the routines that they were doing at that time. Because that's really where you can carry over. Moving your left pinky two inches to the left is really not doing that much for you. Right. Your processes, your routines, and how you're going about things is really where. And those are the controllables. Yes, yeah. And so you see a lot of guys, they don't really want to adapt something new mm-hmm. because they don't really understand what works. So they're just right. holding on to anything that kind of comes around. Like, oh, Ooh. I think this worked. This is how I've always done it. This the mindset's like, I've always done it this way, mm. so I have to do it this way going forward. Mm. And maybe the reason why you've always done it that way is the reason why you're failing right now. Mm. So it's really hard to let go of something that you've held on to your whole life. Right, right, right. That's deep. That's really deep. That's deep outside of sports. <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> All right, so uh, let's go back uh, kind of on the timeline a little bit. So you've, uh, you've met with these mental performance coaches. They, they've uh, kind of reshaped the way that you are viewing the game of baseball. Uh, you read, you're re- you start to read books. So mm-hmm. educate yourself more and you're allowing them to educate you more. Uh, so what happened next? Where, where are we at on the timeline now? Yeah, so from uh, goal setting, I moved on um, to starting to read books. Um, I believe Brent Frigley gave me stillness is the key. So learning a little more how to become still, mm-hmm. how to slow down, and just a background for everybody. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD at a younger age, so learning to cool down and not being hyper in sense was always a struggle for me, especially mentally. My mind went fast, so that was a good thing for me. And then I moved on to AA. Um, shout out my boy Rob DiBernadetto. De- yeah, I said your name right. Don't worry. <laughs> but um, he, we talked and everything. Talked about where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Gave him some background, and um, he threw out the book called. Um, we wrote it down there. The Mindful Athlete. Mindful it's called Athlete. The Mindful yes. Athlete. Yes. Just had a brain for him. Yes. So he gave me the book, The Mindful Athlete, and um, we started to read on The Mindful Athlete, and it gave me like a real in-depth understanding of what the psychology is for an athlete, what makes a better athlete versus what makes an athlete worse in the way he's thinking. And exactly, just like the neural, the neural ways about how the neural pathways and all those little things. So it gets real deep into there. And then into your life, like what certain things that you identify with that bring about struggle. One main thing that I remember is um, his, fam- his famous quote, well, a famous quote by Robert Frost that he brings up a lot. Yes. Is the only way out is through. Yes. And um, talking about also how we identify ourselves with certain failures. So certain situations, we've always failed in it. Mm-hmm. So identity is to fail in that situation because you believe that's you. Right. So a lot of like real deep things in your life and your personality and stuff, stuff like that, that um, I was able to pick apart with myself. And we started working on that with myself. How do I fix this? How do I fix that? How do I not use the past as an indicator of what's going to happen in the future and starting to let go? And then through that process, I started to see that I was actually letting go of limits that I had previously put on myself. Mm. What, was, what were some of those limits? What were some of those those uh, things that you had to kind of like break apart a little bit as you were maturing as an athlete? Like the habits. So for instance, a lot of guys do this. I'm not a superstitious guy, but mm-hmm. I realized I was being superstitious and I would have the first at bat. I wouldn't feel good. Things would go wrong. Pitcher throws me a pitch that I could hit, swing through it. I'm not feeling good. I step out the box and now I'm thinking, Ah oh, crap, I don't feel good. This is going to be a really bad day. It's going to mm. be a struggle. 
instead of letting go of what I'm feeling in that moment. Just because in the past that's happened doesn't mean that that has to happen right now. Mm. So I started holding on to that. Like, all right, well, this happened to me two weeks ago. And two weeks ago, that started a slump that lasted a week that killed my batting average for 40 points. And now I'm way away from what I need to be thinking about, which is a process. Right, right, so trying to right. detach from all the identity of things that happened in the past. Do you feel like your ADD was making that worse at one point? So once you were kind of catching on to one thought about something bad, it was jumping to another bad thought, another bad thought, another bad thought, yep. another bad thought. Oh, now it was killing. It was killing me because mm. it turns into like a tornado effect where I'm running a tornado and then all of a sudden I forget that I'm even on a baseball field wow. that I'm hitting. Now, what was my approach? I don't know. What was I trying to do? I don't know. What was the last two pitches that he was doing? I don't know. And now you got the umpire saying, hey, you got to step in the box, kid. It's time to go. And at that point, you're definitely destined to fail. You got no plan. You're destined to fail at that point. Got you. Got you. So, mindful athlete. Uh, grateful got read it as well. So, now you're becoming more, sounds like, present with your sport now. You're not just out there anymore. You're starting to uh, pay attention to how you feel, your emotions, things that you can start to come up with more of a mental performance strategy mm -hmm. to, to play better. You know, some, yes. of, some of the stuff is it, obviously they're great tools for life, but also there is great strategies mm -hmm. in mental sports performance to forget about past mistakes with error parking and to, you know, let go of the emotions of the past so you're not experiencing now in the present yep. when you're supposed to be performing. So those yes. those make, you know, a lot of like the strategic sense on doing that. So what happened next? That was what, around 2020? That's, yeah, 2019. I also read Relentless, great book, one of my favorites by mm -hmm. Tim Grover. Learn how to think in a more mentally tough way. Mm -hmm. um, not meaning you don't have to be weak to go to the gym. Right. So you don't have to be mentally soft to think in a better way, to think more mentally tough, to right. learn to push yourself. So I started, from these things, I started to see that, like, hold up, Kobe was kind of doing these mental exercises and thinking, working on his thinking patterns. Michael Jordan was doing these mental exercises, meditations, breathing exercises, learning how to think better, learning how to process his goals better. Mm -hmm. Dwayne Wade was doing this. All the greats are doing this. Yep. They don't really promote it, but they were doing it. Right. And these are guys that I look up to when I was little. Exactly. Like, and I appreciate the fact that you're a hoops guy, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm from New York City, man. That's automatic. That is automatic. That, I looked up to those dudes. So seeing that, right. people don't tell you that. They just tell you Michael Jordan wants to the gym and put in work. And if he was struggling, he just pushed harder than he was pushing before. Right. Because like, people don't have the context. And Kobe, the same thing. Right. Or oh, he just went to the gym and shot 6,000 shots and came out better. Like, right. no. I started to learn that. He shot, he shot 6,000 shots a year, but it was about how he went about those 6,000. He was present for every single one of those 6,000 shots. He was in his process for every one of those 6,000 shots. Mm -hmm. Therefore, he got better than another guy who took just as many shots as him, but wasn't present, wasn't completely in the moment, wasn't right. able to let go, wasn't able to be relentless through failure. Right, didn't have that, uh, I think it's a Cal Newport, that deep practice. Yes. He didn't have that deep practice. Yes. It's different between just being out there and then actually you know taking uh chart of your makes and misses and mm -hmm. your percentages this time versus last time mm -hmm. and slight things that you're doing to adjust your jump shot or your, your swing that's good stuff so yeah like to add to that uh -huh. in the cage what i did is i was always a quantity guy mm -hmm. not really quality so i have a bad day and even to 2019 i'm still tweaking still working on these things i'm learning this mm -hmm. but i'm going through and i have a bad day okay let me go take 200 swings in the cage like, I'm not leaving this cage till I take 200 swings. Because right. I'm still thinking in a little bit of a quality mindset. Right. I mean, quantity, quantity mindset. Right, right. So I'm just taking as many swings. I'm like, yo, somewhere in this 200 swings, I'm going to feel my swing again. Right. So I'm just swinging blindly until I feel something and I can hold on to it. Mm. And unfortunately for me, sometimes it worked. And then I would keep going back to that because it worked. Mm. Not knowing it wasn't efficient. Not knowing it's breaking mm. my body down. Not knowing what I'm doing. But I didn't really have the, the grasp of like, hey... These 200 swings I'm taking, I'm only probably getting a good 50 out of them. Right. And the rest is just discardables or might be making me worse because I'm not really focused on a clear goal that I'm trying to get to. Exactly. Exactly. So that's good. Uh, and one thing that I can appreciate about you too is just, again, not only reading this information in these books and you know becoming fascinated by mental performance, but you actually had the guts and the grit to actually go and try these things out at the level you're at. 
you know, a lot of guys don't like to mess around with nah. a lot of their <laughs> stuff once they start to get at a high level. But you, you again, it's the openness that you possess as an athlete, which is one of the uh, five main traits of really good athletes is openness. Uh, you exude that because you're always trying to find ways to get better. So speaking about different ways you got better, what ha- happened after uh, you read The Mindful Athlete? I think we're in like 2020, 2021 now. Yeah, we're heading into 2020, the off season. Um, Mindful Athlete opened my mind up to a lot of different things, very relentless. Um, then I read the book um, called Head Games, mm-hmm. which was given to me by Rob, and it started to show different ways that athletes were going about certain things. This is kind of the intro plan to see for what we got today. Right. But um, I'm reading about and I'm like, you thinking, all right, I got my quality in order, but how can I raise the level of what I'm doing in training, make it closer to what a game's like? Because unfortunately in baseball, our training is kind of far off from what you actually face in a game. You'll be hitting off a tee or hitting off of a guy putting the ball right down the middle at a slow motion in practice. And then you go in the game, the guy's throwing 95 miles per hour trying to get you out. Doesn't really translate. Right. So at this point, I'm thinking, all right, how can I train my instincts that Tim Grover keeps talking about over and over and relentless, trusting those instincts? How can I train them? And then um, in the Head Games book, one of the main passages that popped out to me that we talked about was the Steph Curry situation where yes. his trainer has got these, uh, like these lights that go about and they switch colors and he puts them all over the gym and kind of hides them from Steph Curry as told in the story. And um, Steph just going about his regular practice and everything, he sees a light and upon seeing the light, he has to activate a movement perfectly and then finish it off with a specific shot that that light represents. So each light will represent something else. Sounds very cognitive to me. (laughs) (laughs) That is a fact. Sounds extremely cognitive. So I didn't really know what cognitive training was at this moment, but I was like, man, that sounds like he's training his instincts and reading about what the greats did, reading about their behaviors and reading about their mind state, they all trusted their instincts and had elite instincts. But as a person, it's like, yo, how do we train our instincts? Like, how do we go about doing that? Nobody knows. Like I started, at this point, I have more of the knowledge of how you're supposed to think, where your goals are supposed to be at, and what you need to do. But the application was the part that I was kind of trying and, to figure out. And when out. we talk about mental performance, we talk about it being two-sided or two parts or two pillars. It's the sports psych stuff is what we talk about the whole time. Mm-hmm. Dealing with failure, the uh, error parking, the you know getting the the toxic thoughts out of your mind. That's all the sports psych. But the other side of mental performance is. How well do your executive functions work? Your impulse control, your reaction time, your cognitive flexibility, how good are these things? And so it sounds like, you know, at this point you were ready for this next step. Yeah, I was looking to execute. Yes, my uncle, because my uncle always tells me ideas are great. He's a businessman, entrepreneur. Ideas mm-hmm. are great. Everybody's got an idea that turns them into a millionaire. Mm-hmm. But nobody can execute these ideas. Mm-hmm. And even if they have the knowledge of what they're doing, mm-hmm. if the execution becomes the most important part. Exactly. And at this part, I had a decent understanding, a decent, a small decent understanding of psych. Um, thank, thankful to the trainers. But I was looking for ways, how do I execute this and add this into my game? How do I train my decision making? How do I train my instincts? So now I'm kind of going about different things, trying out different things in the cage. And um, one thing I learned was that if I push myself to a point harder than what the game was like, the game started to become a little easier. So in baseball, I try to take my training to, all right, instead of having my dad, who's throwing me batting practice, just put the ball down the middle when we practice home run derby, let me try to make him get me out, move him in a little closer, make him throw harder, and figure out ways that I could simulate the game, but to a harder level. Mm. Because great quote, I don't know who said it, my mental coach says it all the time. Mm -hmm. He's like, um... We want a blood, bloody practice for a bloodless war. Yes. And it's pretty much just train harder than you have to do in the game. So when the game comes, you can be comfortable in those situations. Yes, it feels like a holiday. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I was on that journey at that point looking nice. for ways that I could apply that. And those things did help, but they helped to a point. But there was still a little more that I knew I was missing that I was looking for at the time. Exactly. So then we are into 2021. Yeah. Right before... Uh, you're working in the off season, 2021. Yeah, strength uh, camp. Strength camp. So, uh, OTA. Strength camp and OTA. Shout out to OTA strength yes, camp. Yes, sir. My guy, Chris uh, Bernard. Chris B. C. B. Uh, <laughs> so then, uh, there's this, there's this, uh, big black guy that walks in with dreadlocks one day. Uh, <laughs> and so kind of, kind of take it from there. Yeah. So, um, after learning all these things, especially with the head game, um, it talked about Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, and Michael Jordan all doing some type of cognitive training. 
So at this time, a little before this, I'm looking on the internet, trying to figure out what cognitive training is. I see like a very small amount of stuff. Don't really know what it's, what it's like or what it's doing or what I'm supposed to head into. But I'm training with Chris and Chris is applying a few things that are, are pretty nice, but I know I want a little more. And then this big black dude walks in with a <laughs> with dress and a B shirt on and um, goes, yo, Chris tells us like, hey, I knew this guy for a minute. Um, he does cognitive training. We're just gonna run through a circuit, see what you like, see what you don't, and um, just give you a taste of what he does. And I remember that day we ran through a circuit. We're cooked, by the way. We just did a full workout. Mm -hmm. We're cooked. We're exhausted, mentally exhausted. And we started doing these uh, drills where we're throwing balls against the wall. Just about three or four guys. I won't give away your secrets. Yes. But anyway, uh -huh. he gives us uh, some tasks to do. Or we're throwing these balls against the wall. And certain things you see warrant different reactions, which remind me of what happened with Steph Curry and his training. And immediately after the session, all of a sudden, it was like somebody flipped the light switch on. I was a lot more aware. I was a lot more focused. I was a lot more attentive. And when we were done with the little activity that he given us, I was like, yo, I can take on the world right now. I'm ready to go play video games on BLE. I'm ready to go hit. Like, mm -hmm. I felt aware, open, and present. Kind of like I took an Adderall. I had ADHD, so I legally was able to take that. <laughs> <laughs> but kind of like I took an Adderall, I was locked in. And at that point, I was like, man, this might be the missing puzzle of what I'm trying to get at. And then one thing that also stuck out in the beginning was when we did the activity, it raised my awareness and kind of like the pressure sense with the mm -hmm. time going on. It felt more like I was in the bottom of the ninth yes. or in a situation where I was trying to make a team or a pressure situation, something that me personally, I'm addicted to. Mm -hmm. But when I felt that, I was like, oh yeah, this is the training or some type of training that may help me get to the place that I want to be at where I, all the pressure's going on and then I have to calm myself down and focus through this. Yes, yes, we had a lot of different moving pieces, a lot of different stimulus, and that was one of the early criticisms of cognitive training is that how do you mimic the same levels of anxiety or arousal mm -hmm. as an actual game? And I was, I was one of those critics, like how do, you, how do you get that to translate? When you actually are in the midst of doing cognitive training and you have all these decisions to make in split seconds, stress is stress. Whether it's mm -hmm. bottom of the ninth, whether whatever it is, you can mimic that and recreate that in a laboratory setting. Mm -hmm. I've seen, you know, the most calm guys break sticks over their legs in here. <laughs> People that normally don't curse are cursing. Like, it can get you kind of out of pocket. So uh, that's, that was good stuff. So from after our first meeting at OTA, uh, I remember uh, you uh, approaching me or I approached you however it was and I was just wanted to see if you wanted to you know, do more of this and kind of do the actual NeuroBeast method. Yeah. And then uh, I remember spring training was, was right around the corner so we had to hurry up and get a lot of hours in with mm -hmm. you. So we were going like four or five times a week. Yeah, we were getting it. Yeah. We were getting after it. Yeah, and so kind of talk about more of your training here and some of the uh, uh, epiphanies you were having about your mind and your brain <laughs> yeah. and how it worked. Yeah, I remember especially the first thing we did was the assessment at OTA. So mm -hmm. I saw I saw you out. I realized like, hey, this could be the application. I'm open to it. Let me try it. See what's up. Mm -hmm. But from what I learned, what I was looking for, this could possibly be what I was looking for to finish out. Or not finish out, but kind of help complete a process of that I've been going through. And we did the assessment. And I remember we had to do the assessment with certain tennis balls. Mm -hmm. There was some drills that I had to do, and the tennis balls were dropping all over the place. Mm -hmm. It was falling over the gym, and I realized how quick I was getting sped up to the point where I, I don't know if you remember, I ran into the um, to like the little bench rack and yes. knocked over the bench. Yes, I remember that. I remember that. I, remember I started that. like my anxiety levels started shooting through the roof, mm -hmm. and that's what I was looking for because I was like, man, I feel like I'm in the bottom of the ninth of a World Series game yes. right now. But yet I still have to focus and perform a task that I have to really be able to pay attention to, read and perceive what's going on. Yes. And I realized how bad I was at it to start. Exactly. And what's crazy is in usually games, in these scenarios, I usually become better. But like trying to live in this scenario, I wasn't doing as well mm -hmm. performing these tasks that I was new to as well. So once that happened, I was like, you know what, this is definitely it. Because this is pushing me to a point where I really have to challenge myself. And um at that point, we started our training, and uh, that was... Start, start picking you apart. <laughs> start picking you apart. I'm talking, we got to the point where you told me about the cognitive fatigue, mm -hmm. but I realized it to the point where we were doing, like, really simple little things, and towards the end of the session, after so, so many decisions, 
it was like I was frozen. I didn't know what to do. My body kept freezing up and I kind of got in that indecision mode. Mm -hmm. And that was the same mode that I felt in when I was in major slumps or when I would misread a ball. I'd get in that mode and it was like an indecision freeze mode and then it would turn into a complete obliteration. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this is something that I definitely need to train. And we were able to pinpoint kind of that and get you pretty quickly to your threshold in here quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember some of the chart drills we were doing. We were stuck on some of those levels for a couple oh, of weeks. weeks. Yeah, a couple weeks. of weeks. And it's like, you know, I me mean, as a practitioner is like, I'm I'm over here like super happy because we got, you know, we got <laughs> a pro athlete at the point to where, all right, you know, this is this is a, a major area where we can get him better. Mm -hmm. You know, and once we, I remember once we hit the, once we got plus two on the chart, and then I should be giving away my own. <laughs> but once, once, once you got past a certain level on the chart, and then we had the actual fielding drill that we did. Yeah. And I remember my camera guy being here and being like, "Man, like you're cooking this dude. Like, <laughs> like everything you throw that he could not do." But I remember. Specifically, the session where you start getting it, and I remember what did I tell you? What did I tell you, you needed to do? So we had already, yep. we had already previously wired you with a bunch of decisions. You were getting more cognitive, and then you were still having a problem with this drill. And then what, what? What did I tell you? Yeah, I remember at the point. It's been a maybe a couple of weeks at this point. The drill was killing me. Mm -hmm. We're mimicking some type of outfield work to keep it simple. Mm -hmm. But um, we're mimicking some type of outfield work and have to read something, make a decision, process it, and move in a certain direction. And what happened was I kept making the wrong decision or becoming indecisive or where I would fall step in one direction mm -hmm. and then go to another. And I had it like a safety net every single time we did this. And I remember you told me exactly, look, we put in the work for multiple weeks. Your mind is processing everything faster than it was before. You don't have to jump to conclusions or anticipate conclusions like you did before. Just slow down, read what's going on and make your decision and it's still gonna be faster than what you were doing before. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I was like, you know what? Let me trust what Tuck's saying, even though I didn't think that it was possible. Mm -hmm. And I gave myself the extra second, or in my mind, it felt like the extra second to read and then realize what's going on and make my decision. And I started making clean movements, clean movement, clean movements. And all of a sudden, I started trying to move just a little faster, read a little faster, and it was clean, clean, clean. And I was like, oh crap, we're getting to the spot faster. We're doing everything quicker but in my mind i'm doing everything slower and that was kind of the moment where i realized that oh man stuff is actually slowing down for me at this time the matrix effect yeah. it's like as a practitioner it's like it's my golden nugget for all of my clients is to get into that moment where it's like you're keanu reeves in the matrix <laughs> you're dodging the bullets you can see him coming out the, the, the barrel. You can see him spinning. Mm -hmm. It feels like you have all the time in the world to dodge him in that instance. Uh, but I, I love it. And what, what really happens there is your perception and your processing gets really, really elite. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing it and you're processing it really fast. You don't have to rush and make a decision. Then. Yep. You can just go ahead and make the correct decision. And you're just gonna be, like he said before, it's gonna be a lot more efficient. So yeah, like that was like, as far as, you know, creating a program for you and all that kind of stuff, and then being able to be in that moment of seeing kind of your brain hit that threshold and hit that switch onto like a way better brain was amazing. Um, and so I was just happy off of that. <laughs> I was just happy off of that. I remember talking to the camera guy, my, my guy nephew, man. And I was like, Neff, man, like, did you see that? He's like, yeah, like, this stuff really starting to work. So that was great. I was I was really happy with our our time that we spent together. We had amazing conversations. We got in a lot of good cognitive endurance work. And then you go into spring training. So mm -hmm. talk about your spring training. Yeah, spring training, um, especially that defensive job. Defense is always something that I was working on for the last three or four years that kind of held me back in baseball, mm -hmm. specifically that. And I remember going to spring training, doing some drills and I'm um, doing some fly balls and fungos. And I was like, you know what? The first time I do this, I'm just gonna take what Tuck said. I'm gonna just read this slower. If I make, it, if I make the wrong decision, I'll be able to, to react and make the right decision after. But I'm gonna read this properly, feel like I'm moving slow and just try to make everything clean. And I started to wait. Guy would hit the ball and I'd wait a little longer than I thought in my mind it took. Make the right decision, read the angle, read where I need to go and get to the spot. Then I started realizing like, oh man, hold up. I'm making these decisions and I feel like I'm waiting a long time, but I'm there before the ball's getting down. I'm like behind the ball, I'm clean, my routes are all clean and good. And even after the session, my coach came up to me like, hey, 
what were you guys, like, what have you been doing? Because from two weeks ago to now, you look like a totally different outfielder. Everything you did was good. It's clean. It was raining on us at the time, and everything I was doing was still clean. Boom. Bulls up in the rain. He's like, what are you doing? And then um, at that point, I knew, like, yo, what we're doing here is actually slowing down what I'm doing in the game. Boom. And then I started to take that into the games in spring training. And at this point, I'm in Major League spring training, so I'm facing Major League players. Like, I'm facing Aaron Judge facing Stanton and all these guys in one particular moment where Aaron Judge had hit me a line drive, crushed it over my head, probably like 100, 500, six miles per hour, and I'm close to the wall. And for me, it moved in slow motion where he hit the ball, I gave it a second, I read where it was going, I took a couple steps back, I understood like this ball is not gonna leave the park, it's gonna be somewhere around the wall. I was able to take a look at the wall, then look back at the ball, make a judgment like, all right, in about two steps, I'm gonna take a hop and grab this thing before I hit the wall. And I did it, all felt like slow motion, hit the wall, came down, and then after I caught the ball, not to gas it, felt like I was in the matrix <laughs> for a second. And I was like, oh shoot, I just did that. This is a right. play that I could not make before. Right. And my boy Shavi, who's also came here for a little yes, bit, yes. is in center field like, let's go boy, let's go, let's go, that's what we do, that's what we do. Uh, and it hit me like, oh man, like I was hype in the moment. Uh, but I was like, oh shoot, stuff is actually slowing down in yeah, the game. This yeah. is something that would have moved at a thousand miles per hour before. Exactly, exactly. For me and, and anybody else would categorize as a really difficult play, but something for me kind of felt like, oh, this is just what we do. We practice this and everything kind of just slowed down. I was able to trust myself in the instincts. Yes. Like what they were talking about with Tim Grover at the time. Yes, yes. And, I, and you know, as a practitioner, you don't know necessarily what's going to go, what's, what's going to happen, how your, your clients are going to play. But once I started seeing what he was doing, with what you were doing, I was like, oh, snap, I think we got him. I think oh, yeah. you got him. And then the next game, you were playing really good. And then you started yeah. hitting the ball really well. Yes. Talk about your hitting. Really yeah, good. hitting it helped as well, too, because I started to see the ball. I started to perceive what was going on a lot faster and seeing everything move a lot slower than it did before. So it wasn't like I was on a magic pill, but I could realize what was happening before it happened. Mm -hmm. So I had situations where a guy would throw me a 95 mile part fastball and I'd be a little out in front and I'd come back into the dugout and be like, damn man, why this guy throw me a changeup in that situation? And I remember one of the guys was like, changeup? Bro, that was 94 mile part fastball. And I was like, mm. wait, what? Are you serious? And they was like, yeah. And then, cause you could see it up on the board. And I was like, oh shoot, things are actually slowing down as I'm hitting as well. And I started having situations where through some practice and stuff, I started being able to, I can't give up my secrets here, but I started to be able to look at certain, look for certain pitches and then still be able to catch up to a 95 to 100 mile power fastball. In one circumstance, I was looking for one pitch and off of pure reaction and perception, I was able to turn on a 100 mile power fastball, mm. which is the hardest thing to do in baseball, at least as a hitter in my perception. And I didn't even know what I did at the time because things started to slow down. Mm -hmm. But going back, doing the research, I'm looking like, wait, hold up, that pitch was 100 miles per hour. But to me, it was looking like more of like a 93, 94 mile power fastball mm. that I was hitting. And that's when I started to realize that, hey, how I'm perceiving everything and the time that I have now is a lot more than before. Right, absolutely. And I was, I was seeing it. Uh, I'm not a big, big baseball guy, but I was able to like, dissect your performance and also looking at some of the numbers how you hit the previous year mm -hmm. and saw that they were you know uh, it was a huge jump talk about some of your increases in your statistics from yeah. spring training 2020 and spring training yeah spring training 2020 uh some things that were attributed to spring training 2020 is one we talk about cognitive capacity it was a lot going on it was my first time in major league camp and I had a lot of reporters around, a lot of fans around, a lot of people talking to you. Mm -hmm. You got a lot of thoughts of like, hey, is this my chance to make the team? Is this my chance to show the major league coach what I have? And all those things started dawning on me. And then on top of that, didn't have somewhat of the secret code here where things were slowing down. So I, that, with the pressures, with the thoughts, with the worry about what the coach may perceive and how my bats were going, mm -hmm. and kind of my mind going frantic, I hit .095 in 2020 major league spring training. 2021 Major League Spring Training, after having more cognitive capacity, being able to handle all those things and still focus on what I'm doing based on what the work we're doing here and all the stuff that we're doing, having things slow down, I ended up hitting 358. So I had a tremendous jump in the situation, tremendous. And one thing that I just branch out onto is things slowed down, they became easier, yes. But one thing that I realized, we talked about cognitive capacity, mm -hmm. having distractions around you and inside your mind, which we try to fight, mm -hmm. but having them inside your mind, but having the capacity that even though there's a distraction in my mind, 
telling me something else. I have the capacity to focus on what I need to focus on. Absolutely. So like, people, you might know this as a basketball player, a scout is sitting there five feet away from you watching you take your shots. Mm -hmm. And you know in your mind, if you're not fully present, it happens. Mm -hmm. You're aware that this dude's watching everything that I'm doing as you're shooting, right. which you shouldn't be focused on. Or like you're hitting right. and the major league coach is right behind you. Right. And like this dude's evaluating everything I'm doing mm -hmm. as you're taking a swing. And prior to this, it was like, yo, those thoughts would kill me and now I'm falling apart because I can't focus on that and this at the same time. Right. Not that you should. But now I started to realize I'm having those thoughts of like, this dude's right here watching me, but I have so much space in my mind that I can still focus on what's going on. Like, yeah, this dude's here watching me, all those things are running in my mind, but I can make the decision, have enough space to see, still see the ball come in, still focus on the little things or playing the game in, well, I don't want to skip playing here, maybe major league camp. You hear a guy be like, you suck, swing at the ball. I hear him, like he has a little space in my mind that he's screaming, but I have so much space in my mind that it doesn't completely control everything right. I'm doing. I can still work through your, that. Your, one is your ability to process what's going on, and two, your ability to have good selective attention. Mm -hmm. So we you know, we did a lot of distraction tasking here, all oh, the yeah, drills in here, where it's like, you know, I would we would do, we would kind of get a little wild with it, but <laughs> I'll have my godson come in and talk to you and ask for your <laughs> autograph while you're doing a cognitive drill uh -huh. to see if you can stay locked in. Because it's it, part of that is is the part of the game that people don't realize you have to be able to process. Mm -hmm. You gotta process the success. You gotta yes. process the criticism. You gotta process the the people that you give a lot of cognitive weight to being mm -hmm. at the game. Yes. And if you don't have enough space, those things dominate your performance. Mm -hmm. If you have enough space, those things are just a part of your performance. Yes. Your performance is still gonna go on. They're just lucky to be along the ride with yes. you while you're, while you're doing it. No, so we were we were definitely extremely proud of the way you were playing here. Uh, I didn't understand baseball a lot, so I'm like, once I saw you get the call up, I was like, oh, he's, he's oh, actually, we skipped that part. So go, yeah. we were still in spring training. So uh, go ahead and finish up talking about spring training, then we'll yeah. get into that. So I had a great spring training. Did really well. Did the best I did in my in uh, this was like my second big league camp, but I've went to big league games before, so I'm doing the best I have. I didn't make the team um, out of big league spring training. And I go down to AAA slash the all site. And then two weeks later, I get a call up to the major leagues. For the first time, I'm in the major leagues, in the big show, everything that I ever wanted, everything I wanted to do in my life. And then that's where I really see that these things help me a lot. Because getting there first day, without this training, it would have kind of been a mess these two weeks. Like, you got your family calling you, and you're trying to call your family. Like, I found out two hours before the game started, three hours before the game started, that I was going to major leagues. Mm. And I was playing that day. So I'm calling family and friends, trying to let everybody know I'm showing up. You've got reporters, you've got friends that you've played with. You've got coaches all coming to congratulate you and tell you this, that, and the third. Congratulations. You've got cameras going on you. All these things while you're trying to prepare for a game. Right. Not a yourself. part of your normal pregame. Nah, no, sir. Right. Like this, it's a mass amount of what you can call distractions right. coming towards you while you still have to focus on what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, all the things that you do in the game now are more important because every little decision, every little thing that you do affects if the team wins or loses. Absolutely. And if the team loses one game and falls out of the playoff by one game, you could have you been that reason why the team lost and didn't make the playoffs. Absolutely. So I had all these things grabbing at me to talk about the capacity. Now you've got fans screaming all these things and without this, it would have been a, a lot harder to focus on what I need to do. You to think focus so? Do you think that all the extra stuff would have mentally fatigued you prior to the game? Really? Yeah, that it would have took up more space in my mind. It mm -hmm. would have, in certain circumstances would have dominated my mind. Like one day that I go back to is when your gossip's in here vacuum cleaning. Uh, and he doesn't know what he's doing. He right. just gave him the vacuum and he's sucking up something that is not supposed to be like <laughs> yeah. and it's, the vacuum's about to explode yes. and we're in the middle of yes. exercise yes. and we're both trying not to laugh. Right. <laughs> and we, and we, we, we kept it together. Like it's yeah. together like able to hold it together, Absolutely. focus, and finish out what we was doing. After we finished, we started laughing because yes. little man had no clue. Yes. But that, rem rem remembering that, and then as I'm like playing the Yankees, who was my, mm -hmm. the, I was a fan of since I was little, you've got the Yankee fans all screaming at me, wilding on me. It kind of brought me that back to that moment. Mm -hmm. And one thing that uh, we used here that helped a lot was like, all right, every cue of when we hear a distraction is going to be a cue to focus back on the process 100%. and what we're doing. And we used it the day where your godson was here. Every okay. time 
he messes up with the vacuum cleaner, that's just a reminder to focus back on the Walk process. And I was able to use that in probably the highest leverage pressure and anxiety situation that I've ever been in and was able to be successful in those situations because of the preparation the work we did. Shout out to Dion Brown, baby. <laughs> you're, you're, you're here doing more work than your goddad is, man. Shout out to Dion. Dion just broke his arm, by the way. So oh, we got, man, got to send him, send him some, some well wishes, man. Oh, man. Uh, so that, that, that was, again, watching you being able to, one, perform really well in spring training was awesome. I was like, great. You know, you know, not that I want to take full credit or take any credit from your hard work or anything, but just knowing how diligent you were in here. Mm-hmm. You know, you were four days a week. Like, for yeah. those of you who've done cognitive training, four days a week is not comfortable at all. At all. You're, you're taking your brain through things that you don't normally take it through, you're uncomfortable. It's going to make you a little bit more physically tired, mm-hmm. like, which is which is crazy too, right? Yep. We didn't really talk about that aspect, but like, we're doing normal stuff in here, and sometimes we're sweating, sometimes the heart rate's elevated, and you're not really doing anything physically. So the, the demand that cognitive training places on your brain and your body isn't a joke, especially when it's done the right way. But you were going four times a week, which was great, and you led up to having an amazing spring training. Now you get the call up to the big leagues, and you're performing real well. Talk about some of the other experiences you had uh, at at the at, at bad or like some of the, the different scenarios you were in as a big leaguer during yeah, that time. Um, one scenario was um, when I was in the big leagues, I was facing the Yankees, who mm-hmm. I wanted to beat so badly, and I get up against a hitter. Mind you, prior to this, I wasn't feeling the best. Mm-hmm. A lot of baseball players know sometimes you hit a point where you're just not feeling good in your swing, mm-hmm. and I was able to use some of the mental psych and some of the stuff we did here where, all right, it's okay if I don't feel well. What is my focus? What is my process? And then another thing that we used was to detach from the emotions. Yeah. To detach from the emotion of not feeling good, letting go and just trusting myself. Like, all right, I'm gonna trust in my abilities here that all this work that we put in is gonna be able to pay off. And especially with the cognitive stuff, learning through the process of how to let go of trying yes. and focus on trusting and accepting. And um, I was facing, because you forgot his name, but we got bases loaded, it's the first inning, and um, throws me like a curveball with two strikes. And I'm battling, battling, battling. I'm able to trust myself. Hit a, got a hit up the middle. Curveball kind of seemed like it was moving in slow motion. Got a knock up the middle to get two runs in off of the Yankees. And I was extremely excited. Number one, not only because I felt bad, and prior to that, me going to two strikes, I looked like crap. Mm-hmm. But number two, giving myself the ability, like, hey, I had in my toolbox the ability to step out, take a deep breath, know what my process was, and be like, you know, I'm fully going to commit to this. And I'm going to just trust in my instincts that I've practiced and I've tried. And through the training we did, kind of builds you up to trust your instincts. Because if you're trying to think through all the things that we're doing, you really can't think fast enough to do the activities that you're supposed to do here. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be successful in that. And that's when you learn and you start getting the flow feeling of trusting. Like, hey, I see this. And my mind recognizes it, trusts it. And if I do it wrong, I could always correct Mm -hmm. and fix it versus sitting here and trying like, Mentally trying, like, I got to be better. I got to do better. I got to focus. I need to get a hit. And really trying to feel better versus, hey, I've put in the work. We've done it. We've yes. trained the instincts. Let my instincts take over my game. Yes. That's, and that has to be one of the most rewarding feelings as an athlete. Oh, where yeah. You've, you've gotten to the pinnacle of doing all the things physical, all the things skill-wise, all the things mental. And now you just, you're there. Mm-hmm. You're there. There's nothing really that you have to do in that moment, but be present yes. for what you're doing. Like, and that's 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 one of our goals is to be able to get athletes to kind of experience that serenity or that peace that's within the sport. Mm-hmm. Even though things may seem chaotic, you're walking up there with all the confidence in the world mm-hmm. that you have the ability to shine in this moment, no yes. matter how the physical body may feel. Yes. No matter how beat up you are, no matter how tired you are, you still have it in you. And uh, go ahead and say what you were going to say. Yeah, and one thing, like, as a baseball player, guys would know, when you don't feel good, you usually don't see the ball very well. Mm-hmm. And one translation I started to realize after doing this training is I would not feel good, but I would still see good. Right. So the, that's one of the hard, biggest things you want to be able to see and perceive what's going on in the mm-hmm. ball, be able to read the ball early and know where it's going. And when you're not feeling good, it happens tense for me, at least in the past, I would just swing at everything because I wasn't seeing and that was a huge change I saw. It was like, man, I don't feel good. My swing doesn't feel good, but I could see every pitch coming in. 
I have a better, like I'm making better decisions. My play discipline is getting better. So that's one of the, for me as a baseball player, one of the greatest things you can have is to be able to always, or not always, but usually see the ball really well, mm -hmm. regardless of the movements that you're making. And narrow beats, we talk about our, our four P's now, but it's perceive, process, perform, and then as far as programming goes, you progress the, 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 the programming. But it sounds like you got that perception and that mm -hmm. processing point done, and you're playing at the level that you have, so you have the performance capability as well. Yes. And and it was just great, like I said, watching everything just come together, mm -hmm. come together. Like I was talking to your strength coach, Chris, he was excited too, because as, as strength coaches, and I'm a strength coach as well, it's, it's, uh, it's only, you only can do so much mm -hmm. for your athlete to get them so much ready to, to perform at that moment. And your heart kind of wrenches when you see the guys that work so hard that just couldn't put it together. Yeah, that's tough. That just couldn't put it together. And that's what, you know, that's one of my main passions of doing what I do now is be, I, I like working with hardworking people. I'm not going to work with people that aren't hardworking. But it's hard, just because you're working hard doesn't mean you're going to succeed. Mm -hmm. You have to be working hard at the right things and you have to have the mental capacity to perform come game day. Whether mm -hmm. that's a job interview, whether that's an at-bat against the best pitcher, whether that's the last two free throws to win the NBA championship, mm -hmm. you have to have the capacity to be able to do that. And again, like I said, it was great watching you be able to put all that together. Uh, so you had some unfortunate things happen. Kind of talk about some yeah, of that. Yeah, um, got to play in the big leagues for two weeks. Um, got called down. The guys were placed and came back. Um, it was a silver slugger, the, like the elite player. So I wasn't mad at that. But then after my first week in AAA, got hit in the hand and broke my hand. So unfortunately, I've been out since somewhere around like May 9th. Mm -hmm. So I pretty much missed most of the season up until this point now. Mm. But now I'm back here, back in my working and um, recreating the process that helped me get so much success. So talk a little bit about, so like injuries is one thing we talk a lot with our athletes about, and you know, what are what are some of the ways that you kind of prevented yourself from going crazy? What are some of the things you did to keep your, your mind occupied? Like talk a little bit about dealing with injuries as a professional athlete. Uh -huh. So I've had a couple injuries in my career. Some before I really got on my mental, um, my psych and, my mental awareness journey, and I kind of drove myself into a wall there. I didn't know what to do, and um, Robert Frost, a good quote from him, is a man that lacks purpose, seeks pleasure, mm. and that's kind of what I would do. I just look for, just eat what I want to eat, do what I want to do, try to seek pleasure through the time period and wait it out like it was a jail sentence. Mm -hmm. And um, very frequently, one of the mental coaches, the Blue Jays, taught to me sometime around 2018, 2019, and I was dealing with the injury, a groin injury. He was like, all right, cool. <clears throat> you may have a groin injury right now, but what about the rest of your body? What are you doing to better the rest of your body? And that was something that clicked with me. So this time going around, my hand was broken. I accepted that. There's nothing I could do about that. But that was one small part of the rest of my body. So the mission became, what can I do for the rest of my body and my mind to better myself when I return than just sit this out and wait this out like some other people would. Right. I just play video games, eat how I want to eat, hang out. Don't work out and just wait this out like a prison sentence. Like, nah, this time, try to get my speed better. Mm. I'm gonna try to strengthen that, um, get better strength in my left arm and coordinate it better. I'm gonna try to read a couple more books, do a little more work, and now get back to the cognitive training and up those things that I can up. Because this is really 10% of my body's down. Right. What are you gonna do with the other 90%? Exactly, exactly. And, and we talked about that too, is now you, 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 know, you had something kind of, part of your equipment failed on you, mm -hmm. but, as that equipment is healing and getting upgraded, so is the rest of you. Yes. So you're not coming back at the same level you were at. You're actually going to come back better. Yes. Where people kind of mindset-wise, they see guys coming back from injuries, they're like, all right, it's going to take some time to get integrated. You're going to be able to hit the ground running. Yes, that's the goal. You know, and so that, that that's that's amazing that you have that mentality and that, that sports psychology side of you to know that, all right, you know, where am I? What can I do? Mm -hmm. What can I do about it? Yes. You know, and you and you actually take those actual steps of doing it. Uh, so kind of flipping the script a little bit, um, more about like, you know, tell us a little bit more about like your passion about baseball. Um, we, you know, we were talking before uh, the podcast started about just, you know, being good to the game. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, so, kind of, so let's talk, talk a little bit about that. I like, uh, I like where our conversation was going on that. 
Yeah, we were talking about um, giving instead of looking to get. Yes. And um, one of, I'm just throwing quotes like crazy. Like, I'm some philosopher. Yeah, okay? <laughs> you speak about this, though. I like nah, it. But my, my boy, um, Tim Grover, well, not my guy, I don't know him, but I love his <laughs> books. But um, one of the main things he said in Relentless is instead of focusing on what you can get from the game, mm-hmm. which will lead you to destruction, focus on what you can give to the game, mm-hmm. which will lead you in the direction that you wanted to go. And we were talking about, hey, the mindset of what the difference is when you focus on what you can give to the game. And being athletes, like in a scenario where you're on a team, when you're focused on what you can get, like I want an MVP, I want this trophy, mm-hmm. I want to be worshipped as the best player on this team, and you start doing a whole 